Before we get started here, I just want to say thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. It means so much to me. And if you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Thank you. This week's episode is brought to you by Patchworks Seattle, our lovely little synth shop. Please head over to their web store um, if, you're, if you've got the hankering to buy something. P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, patchworks.com. You'll find plenty of products from today's guest, amongst others. This week's episode is also brought to you by Needham Woodworks, the finest Eurorack cases in the land. Uh, you've seen mine a million times on videos and in pictures, and uh, I think you should go check out the new designs. As much as I love mine. I do love mine. But man, those new designs got me drooling. Uh, They're doing some really good work over there. Needhamwoodworks.com. And finally, I want to remind you about the three new modules from After Later Audio. We've got the Tilt, the Steps, and the Blend. The Tilt, of course, is a function generator. It's got end Verizon and fall trigger outputs. Attenuation, attenuversion. You can change the shape of the uh, the slope um, on the rise and the fall. So, yeah, it's super, super useful. 6 HP, too. Um, And then we've got the Blend, which is my favorite utility module of all time. You can just blends, you know, obviously blend stuff. Um, attenuation, attenuversion. It's got some VCAs on it. Um, just total, total Swiss Army knife. Um, and then there's the steps, which is just a great source of all things randomness. It's got bursts. It's got a random gate output, and it's got stepped voltage. Also, can uh, you can you can mess with the attenuation on that, attenuversion. Um, just just amazing modules. They're all six HP. They're all very affordable, and. Uh, I can say this with the utmost confidence that uh, you probably need them in your rack. So check out afterlateraudio.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. I'm your host, Tim Held, and today I am so excited to finally have Daniel Van Tyne from IntelliGel on the show. Um, we've been talking about it for a while, and uh, you know, it, it, it finally, it, the, the stars finally aligned, and uh, yeah, we had a great, great chat. Um, I really, I didn't know where to go with a, with a lot of this. There were so many specific modules that I wanted to talk about. Um, and we only had an hour, you know, and, uh, and I, I don't really like to dive too much into like gear specifics throughout the whole show. Um, but it was really hard not to get into some gear talk here because they make such amazing products. And speaking of amazing products, um, I've just been really, really, uh, stoked on a couple new modules that I've got. Uh, one of which is the Sirius is Veil from Void Modular, this dual filter, it's um, got, a v- got VCAs on it. Uh, just so much CV control over everything. It's just a very, very uh, fun uh, filter to use. And then I'm also really digging this Omi Industries R2 RAR. That's the letter R, the number two, and then R-A-W-R. Um, it takes five different gate inputs, and then it will turn those into um, a, stepped, a stepped voltage. So it takes it's a digital to analog converter. Um, 4 HP. So it's just, it's, it's so versatile and so much fun to use. Um, who doesn't like a good source of stepped voltage? Um, I want to just tell you about this, uh, this release that I'm going to be doing pretty soon. Uh, you hear it below you right now. This is something that me and my friend David Lutz worked on. We, we scored a, uh, a feature length film for somebody for free. And then after we were done, they're like, we can't use this. So we've had this music that we really like. 
um, sitting around for a couple of years, and I'm like, hell, let's just release it. So I just want to start, uh, you know, building some hype around it. I mean, you hear how hype it is. It's going to be kicking off in all the clubs once COVID is over. Um, we mostly used uh, a bunch of homemade stringed instruments that uh, that David made. Um, and then uh, this was before I was into modular. So this like kind of synth thing you hear behind is David Lutz on modular. Um, and then I also used uh, my, my classical guitar uh, and just drop detuned it to try to emulate a cello. And uh, I think I got pretty close, but it sounds all broken and weird. Um, it's not happening right now on the track. I think it will in a minute. Either way, I just want to tell you about it and, uh, and, and, and share it with you for a second here. So please enjoy. Thank you for checking that out. That was uh, that was me and my, my old pal David Lutz on some weird stringed instruments and uh, some modular synths. So, uh, yeah, hopefully going to be releasing that in the next month or so. Um, let's check out a demo really quick and then get into this episode. Okay, um, so I've mentioned a few modules today uh, so far in the episode, and why don't we just take a look at um, some of them in conjunction? with each other so what you're hearing right now is uh the a and b output coming from the ensemble oscillator from 4ms uh just a really simple sequence going in from the metron from wmd and then i'm running um, uh the uh the ensemble into the uh the series's veil here and it's uh, two low pass modes so let's just bring that up cool I'm actually just going to bring the right input down. Let's just listen to the left input. And uh, let's take the R2RAR um, out uh, and put it into the, the cutoff here of the left input. Um, so I'm using the three different um, gate outputs from marbles right now, going into the R2RAR, and then it's turning it into a step voltage. I'm going to turn this attenuator down, and uh, yeah, let's plug it in. And I'll slowly start bringing that up. Really nice, fun step voltage. I'll turn that all the way up. Now I uh, I've got that signal from the R2R split, and um, and then I'm printing it into the tilt from after later audio to uh, give it some slew. So let's bring that up in the right input. So here's just the right input with no filtering, and let's uh, let's put the tilt into the, the cutoff input. Blend them together. Okay. 
Yeah, just a simple, fun little patch uh, to show you some of the features of these modules that I've really been uh, digging lately. Um, please go check out Omi Industries, Void Modular, Afterlater Audio, 4MS, and WMD. Let's get into this chat with Dan from IntelliGel. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, I think we've, you, we've been trying to coordinate something for a, a few years now. Yeah, so it's good to finally uh, work it out. Yeah, yeah. I've been like I was just telling you off air. I've been really wanting. I was really, really hoping for an in-person thing. Is why I was probably putting it, putting it off. But uh, yeah, who knows what, when that will be able to happen? Um, were, were you at the event that uh, um, Patrick's put on? Yeah, Velocity. Last time. Yeah. Yeah. You, but you were there, we didn't right? Cross paths there. Yeah, yeah. We were there. Okay. It was a quite a. Uh, impressively busy event yeah so um and the day went by really quick so we mm -hmm. probably crossed paths at some point there but uh yeah yeah i know i met um i oh, now i forgot his name but one of your employees there um probably wes yeah i think so and yeah. um i think i was helping out after later audio and recovery effects kind of bouncing between their booths um helping them like demo their stuff on the the showroom floor there and uh that while that was really fun i did miss out on going and talking to all the makers you know i kind of like saw them in passing or whatever so yeah there were a lot of people that i didn't get to hang out with there um but yeah what an event that was so cool yeah it's great i'm really bummed that it's not going to happen this year, at least in person anyways, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's life. Things are a bit on hold, but it'll, yeah. it'll get better. Yeah. How are how are you holding up with all that, all this the craziness? Pretty well. Um, I think there was definitely a panic when it really kicked off, like at the end of March as suddenly just coming to terms with the fact that things were going to be different and possibly for way longer than we were prepared to accept at the time. And that first two weeks were everything sort of like ground to a halt. And my reaction for things like this is uh, I see it as an opportunity. So um, immediately I actually kicked up the amount of uh, R&D I was doing and st sort of changed what maybe some of our long-term plans. I, I wanted to kind of anticipate some possible outcomes. So... For that quiet period, it was a great chance to work on some things I hadn't had a chance to work on, and but yeah, it was a little it was a little scary. It just suddenly felt like it, like Intelligence has been around for ten years, and it suddenly felt like all this could could implode. Mm -hmm. um, and that things are so fragile. Um, but it's it seems like the music industry, at least unfortunately not for the artists, but for the the make the music machine makers. It's actually been fairly resilient. I guess the first reaction is a lot of people who have been more homebound are making music. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually really excited to see a year from now some, I'm hoping for some really incredible albums and EPs from people. Yeah. Um, so the the other thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think I, I, I feared for the manufacturers and, and stuff at the beginning, but it, it seems like from everybody I've talked about, a lot more people have 
gotten into modular or have expanded their racks because they've got nothing else to do. Yeah, uh, there's so much stuff that's come out in the last couple of years. It's probably a great chance for people to catch up on mm-hmm. what they have and really get to learn it. I, it was so. For example, I noticed we ha- we started to get a lot more questions about modules like TET, which are really deep. And I was getting the impression that people were finally sitting down and really learning that, and which is which is kind of cool. Uh-huh. Um, from a manufacturing point of view, um, there was immediate supply supply chain issues, which I'm sure a yeah. lot of other manufacturers were, were having. We usually like to plan things like at least a quarter ahead, so stuff is still slow now because of this past quarter of things not not um, arriving or whatever. And we'll 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 continue to have kind of delays like that but mm-hmm. um yeah we just have to adapt a little bit yeah um yeah well i'm i'm just i'm i'm very happy to hear that at least uh yeah p- like companies like yours are are able to still do this because yeah i mean of course i was worried about stuff outside of the modular world but because this is a modular podcast um and it's a huge part there's of a life. world outside of modular yeah <laughs> <laughs> what? hard to imagine right yeah <laughs> Um, so I, I just kind of want to get your story. Um, like, let's just start off. Where did you grow up? I, I grew up in suburbs of Toronto called Scarborough. Mm-hmm. And I, the, for me, that was a really, uh, multicultural, multi subcultural city, which was mm-hmm. amazing because I got exposed to so many different forms of music. Uh, it's quite a high tech city too. And so it just felt like there was a lot going on there. And I was interested in electronic music from a pretty early age. But a lot of the things regarding synthesizers were quite mysterious. They just seemed like these incredibly powerful um, instruments. And traditional instruments never appealed to me. The uh, discipline of learning to read musical notation and uh, limited range of timbres uh, with one particular instrument and mastering that, that just... For me, it, I, I really respect it and appreciate it, but it wasn't for me. There's something incredibly uh, incredibly inspiring about the capabilities, the possibilities with synthesizers. So a lot of... I, I, grew, I'm, uh, I grew up in... So I was born in 77, so I, I grew up basically in the 80s, which was when I was a, a little kid. Mm-hmm. And so I saw all this synth pop music and then the first house and um, electron, like techno and stuff uh, evolving and... And a lot of the stuff at the time, because this is pre-internet days, I would I would find out information about it from magazines and from college radio stations. And I used to uh, have cassette recorders set up so I could tape shows that were on at two in the morning because that's when yeah. the cool drum and bass <laughs> show is or like some weird uh, experimental metal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd wake up in the morning, it would just be like a... Uh, uh, like a like a Christmas, like a present. Like you just, you, know, you didn't that. know what was going to be on the mixtape <laughs> uh-huh. and you have to, they would, all your information would come from whatever they said in between the tracks that they played or the, and so you'd rewind and listen, you'd eventually piece together. Cause sometimes they weren't so good about actually naming exactly what the, or it was, it's difficult to put, like isolate exactly what was what, but you could figure mm-hmm. it out. And, uh, and that was a real good sort of start launch point for finding out about more things. And then magazines like Future Music, uh, I could drool over since that at the time I thought I could, I would never be able to afford. And yeah. th- things like Bookla and Surge, that never even 
across my universe. Like I, there, I knew no one who would know. It took a long time to get somebody to explain to me what a sampler was. That, that to me was really a mystery when I was really young. I didn't understand why a sampler existed when it, it seemed like it was a computer. And, and it is a computer, and that's the thing. And nobody right. could sort of explain that to me. But, <laughs> and, and there was limitations on computers and uh, drivers and latency, and there's a reason why you had this dedicated machine. But um, yeah, so anyways, I was mainly really interested in electronic music. I was also really interested in making stuff in electronics. And I learned how to solder pretty early. My dad was an engineer, and um, I've made noise-making machines and modified stuff. And then I started to work on some software projects too. Uh, like we did this, I, I worked with this partner in, I guess we were 17 or 18. We, went, um, uh, we, we were using neural networks to process audio. Mm -hmm. It was pretty crude how we did it at the time, but we, it was starting to be uh, clear that there were some, some new ways that you could be approaching DSP and processing stuff. And most of high school, my aim was to get into university to study engineering specifically to pursue um, any way that I could get into uh, the music tech industry. Okay. Um, okay. Did you, yeah. so were you like playing with like, like just like keyboard synthesizers then um, for a while or like, like how, you, you had the interest in it. Like what was your access to yeah. actually getting hands-on experience with it? Um, almost none. I had a friend's, uh, a friend's brother. He had, saved up all his he was older and i saved up all his money and got some some gear and so when i was a bit older I, I i got to try my first analog synth i had no idea what i was doing um there was like in the music department of our high school they had uh what is it the Korg m1 uh -huh. and no one was allowed to touch it so i'd have to sneak in when nobody would and play the universe <laughs> patch <laughs> which is if you've never played a synth that's that's the coolest patch ever uh and and so just little bits here and there but uh, in the mid '90s, they started to be the first like viable soft synths too. Mm -hmm. uh, like I and um, oh, I can't even remember. It's like this Sam workstation. It's this German uh, S like an acronym SAM, mm -hmm. and that was allowed you to multitrack. I had a copy of SoundForge, and uh, um, also like Sound Blasters and stuff would have sound fonts like these. So it's basically there's crude sampling that you could do if you have found a way you could load your own sound font. So I kind of, whatever I could get my hands on, I would play with. And I was also really into a lot of uh, shoegazer guitar. And so I couldn't really afford guitar pedals, but I knew about some other tricks like the Frippertronic looping thing. And mm -hmm. I found at our school, they had all these old reel to reel. So I, I did the Frippertronic thing in my room before and had them, the reels going across the room. And, um, and whenever I could, I'd try and borrow effects and things from people. And and, and see what I could get out of them. And, okay. And, yeah. But for, at that time, it definitely felt like the future was software that I was convinced that everything was going to be perfectly replicated by software and that it was a waste of time to be pursuing hardware. And I think a lot of people kind of felt that too. And that's why there was this huge surge to use laptops and stuff in early mm -hmm. 2000s. But it doesn't take long after playing with real hardware and watching people jam out on real hardware to sort of understand like what you're missing, missing out on. And I still, a lot of my fondest music is from the sort of late nineties period. And that was just on the cost before people were using, relying on computers too much. They really learned their gear. They had limitations and they just learned to work with them. And it also meant they had more specific sound. Once you got into using, um, 
software that everybody else had access to that has infinite possibilities, it kind of makes your style too broad in a way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I personally, I feel like there's been a big difference in the in the what's happening in the electronic music world. But yeah, um, just a quick side. I saw your screen went black behind you. Is that just a oh, screensaver? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> just making sure yeah, that yeah. You, did, you didn't crash there. Um, so it sounds like correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like so you you get into this this like this new exciting electronic music but you're also like always kind of had a, an interest in the technological side of just electronics in general and it seems like your love of this music and your love of electronics kind of converged and you became a gearhead as a result of you know yeah. trying to understand the gear that that was used to make the music that you liked or i got a my first Aphex Twin album when I was about 13, 12 okay. or 13. And when I learned uh, the myth of Aphex Twin and how he had <laughs> supposedly built all this, like built his own samplers and all this crazy gear, it seemed to me like the, that, that was, that was kind of my idol. And that was what I wanted to, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to, to me, that's living and breathing electronic music. You're not just using the tools and um, you're, you're making them too. And the reason you're making them is because you want to have unlimited possibilities with what you do and mm-hmm. you're not relying on other people. And as I learned more, I realized some of the things were probably huge, huge exaggerations on what was actually done, but it was still a good motivation. It got me learning things that maybe I wouldn't have pursued otherwise. So, yeah. Um, it seems like you're in a really great part of the world in a great time for that too, right? Like, if, like wasn't like kind of the Detroit scene that had to have bled over and there's, I mean, wasn't Toronto kind of also like a huge house scene around the same time or? Oh yeah, it, it was huge. Um, that's where Richie Houghton really came to prominence too. Um, and the jungle scene was like considered, I think second to London, like the, the biggest in the world. There was a, there was a point, I remember one summer, like, maybe 97, 98, you could be driving around in the middle of the week, like two in the afternoon, and there would be five or six different college stations and maybe two or three would be playing drum and bass at some point, which is mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of insane. Like that would never happen in Vancouver. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's a huge advantage of being on the East Coast too, is that there's just so many more big cities and then people will come through and tour. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel a little more isolated on the West Coast. There's definitely not that same buzz uh, and I miss that for sure. Yeah. I think just, you know, being developed so much later, there's less big city. Like there's just, there's not as, there's not as many nodes in between the big spots. So it's just kind of like a big journey to go to Portland or Vancouver if you're in Seattle or, you know, or go down to San Francisco. It's like, those are multiple, you know, all day drives in a lot of, a lot of senses. Um, and just the physical geography. Um, I need to make a drinking game out of this podcast every time I mention physical <laughs> geography. And, um, so did, did you grow up here? I, I grew up this, yeah in, the, in Central Cascades, basically smack dab in the middle of Washington State. Um, do, okay. you, do you remember that TV show, Northern Exposure? Oh, yeah. That was filmed in my hometown. Was that filmed there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> so like growing up, I got to go, down, go downtown and see them shooting and stuff. That was kind of cool. <laughs> um, Okay, so so you're interested in 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 gear and and the software side. So you, you go to you go to college to study engineering and like software engineering. Then, no, no, computer engineering. I was hardware design actually became way more appealing as I was okay. there. Okay, and um, but I it specifically I studied computer engineering, so I could have gone into 
um, like firmware development, DSP, or more pure electronics, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to studying computer science or s- strictly software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only applied for one job after school. It was a company in Victoria called IVL, and they made they had their own line called Electrics, which was fairly popular for for the time was around, and they had. Uh, they did the engineering for a lot of other brands. Like they did a bunch of stuff for Digitech, um, some things for Yamaha, and they were a specialty in vocal processing. And they, so they, I, they still have this spin-off company called TC Helicon. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, um, yeah, and they're still based in Victoria. Um, and that was a good experience. Like I was there for just under two years. I was a junior engineer, and I got exposed to a lot of different aspects. It's, it's, I would consider like a medium-sized company. There's about 60, 70 people there, if I remember mm-hmm. right. And they had very specific departments. I didn't like the fact that things were so compart- compartmentalized because um, for me, uh, I was had more of a background in working on projects and I liked the idea of being a part of every every aspect of a design, which is which is one of the beauties of working in Eurorack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but having these distinct departments and they're doing things professionally, there is all sorts of stuff that I uh, has come back to be valuable later. Mm-hmm. Like everything like compliance testing, um, mechanical design department, mm-hmm. marketing departments, and I tried to while I was there get to know everybody and find out what they did and what their their day to day was like. And it was it was because in a way at that time I didn't feel happy being an engineer, not a pure engineer at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel creative enough, and I I looked at some of the other job roles that people had like. Like a surprising thing for me was the people who were coming up with the ideas and fig- like designing the products were the marketing team. That's not something I never That's would have crazy. thought of. Yeah. yeah. And then I also felt like a lot of the fun engineering stuff was done by the um, user interface programmers. And just the simple uh, fun of when you press a button, this action happens, mm-hmm. and at least <laughs> making some blinky lights and stuff. For for hardware, it's because they're doing a lot of DSP. It just felt like we were getting a lot of the same thing: a box with a power supply and DSP chips. And um, we didn't really care what they did. We just wanted to make sure that the the electronics were working, and that wasn't so so interesting. Yeah, that seems like that seems like a a real like disconnect. If if a mar- if 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 a, if a engineer isn't working on a design that they thought of, I could see just the 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 enthusiasm and and passion being kind of sucked out of the whole thing um you know kind of yeah. like like uh, it would be almost like if you were into making punk rock but you were you were doing uh, like commercial jingles professionally or something like that <laughs> well yeah that, that, so that's another thing um like i so i actually got laid off from there because they they downsized and they shifted direction into making like karaoke toys and it was, it was oh wow it, it, it wasn't it was and, and honestly it was a huge relief too because i wasn't i, I it didn't didn't feel right, and I decided like my pa- my biggest passion at that time was making music, um, producing, DJing a bit, and so um, I went to I'm, that's when I moved to Vancouver, which is t- around two thousand one two thousand two, and then I went to uh, recording school for okay. basically two years, and that was really good to have a more formal understanding of a lot of things that I've been playing with and had learned sort of on my own. Um, and get access to proper studio equipment that I had never tried before. Um, There's some really interesting courses that we took, like in, including how to listen, which was um, something that 
I don't know how many people who are really serious about recording actually do, but training to to, re, to identify actual frequencies, listen to um, sounds, and know what frequencies have been cut and boost. Um, there's people who they, they, I think there's like something called the Golden Ears program that people mm. use, and they will real serious, really ser- serious engineers will be training on that regularly. Um, but anyway, so for for me, it was like a reset. It was a chance, to like all right, doesn't matter what the status of being an engineer or anything. Like I just wanted to do whatever I would be happy doing on a day-to-day basis. But coming back to your point, like I felt like you had to love, like if you were going to be a recording engineer, for example, you had to love it so much that even if you were in there recording jingles or some um, really crappy pop music, you know, something (laughs) Uh uh, uh, that you would, that the process was still so interesting to you that you didn't care. And there's a few career paths that, I felt that way. Like, for example, I would have been really happy doing industrial design. I felt like I could design a salt pepper or, you know, a salt shaker. And that would still, the whole coming up with concept models and making um, uh, 3D designs and uh, all the steps that would be involved would be still interesting. Um, And then I kind of fell off that, like, for electronics, I was, it, it, it kind of been soured by working for this big corporation in a way I didn't feel like, so the university I went to was really focused on academics and, uh, very little practical. And I really didn't feel like I came out of university understanding electronics at all. It was the best way to learn is to apply your knowledge. And, um, and then being at big company, bigger company and really focus on what you're doing. Um, I didn't, I didn't get a broader understanding either, I, but there's other stuff was good. Um, but I eventually started to get back into making synth kits and modifying my own gear. And that really led me back into a love for electronics. And, um, after sort of audio school, I ended up working basically part-time at a radio station for quite a, quite a number of years. And it was a really uh, progressive community station. So there's this whole new world, a non-corporate world, which was amazing. And it gave me a lot of freedom to be working on other projects. So I started to do more contract work for installation artists. Um, I was working on robotic stuff, like, and so into a lot more mechanical design and I got deeper and deeper into electronics and eventually started to teach at the audio school I had been attending. Oh, I was wow. teaching music, uh, like electronic music stuff, and then also studio electronics and other things. And, um, and then one of my friends from recording school, he was the one who introduced me to Eurorack and I had been, I'd been getting a bit more gear and my studio at that time was a mix of mainly focused around computer, but I did have a variety of analog stuff and I was loving it more and more. Um, and I knew about Dopefer from ages ago. I'd seen the huge systems. I'd priced them out. I was like, Nope, can't afford that. Yeah. And I, I, at this time I knew about the, 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 I was really attracted to the mystique of Bukla and I was like, that's, I really want to know more about this, but again, I don't even know people who have this stuff. Like I, I don't, I would really like to hear what it sounds like and try it. And then when my friend showed me that Eurorack had progressed and that now that there's new people making it and they had been cloning things that were unobtainium and it just immediately, there was a spark. Like there were so many possibilities. It was this, it solved so many problems. Like I, I don't play keyboard, so I don't really need a synth that has a giant keyboard. Every classic synth seems to have some really good parts and a whole bunch of stuff that's either 
poorly conceived or easy, easily broken or mm-hmm. it's just it's redundant. And so this was the perfect solution. Like you could, uh, there was new, new things and old things and it didn't take a lot of space and there was a lot of room for, for invention too. And uh, yeah, just as soon as I started putting my first system together, I had a lot of ideas for, for modules I'd like to make and that just kind of launched it. So I, I guess just historically, I always kind of think of, um, think of IntelliGel as one of the, you know, the early Eurorack brands. Um, so when you're talking about, you know, of course, Dofer, so like when you're talking about these, finding out there's other companies, I mean, we're talking like three or four, maybe are we like Harvest Man, Make Noise, Dofer. Um, yeah, so I know I'm forgetting Make Noise, some. We're like, one, like probably two years ahead of us. Uh, there's Schwayman, who's Schwayman, still right, right. Uh, in- incredibly, a lot of his designs way ahead of the curve there's still mm-hmm. things that ha- are unchanged from that time period that are sought after and people pay top dollar for in the used market mm-hmm. and he had really thought out a full line of stuff that was far more advanced th- than the dofer things um banana log who was uh doesn't really exist anymore plan b i don't know if i mentioned that already uh yeah and and, and then there's analog solutions and analog systems that were right. really confusing because one of them didn't have the correct power header so the <laughs> first bus boards that you could get always had to have this extra row in case you were using, I can't even remember if it was oh, analog wow. solution modules. No, I think analog <laughs> system modules, yeah. And yeah, I think Harvestman was, was, had just started. Um, yeah, it's kind of the golden, the phase two golden era. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's such a cool, I don't know, like I, I, obviously I'm a nerd about this kind of stuff. So it's just cool to, to hear about like all the, like it's still not a totally like locked in format, you know, like your rack, it's still a little wild west, but I mean, I think, I think it's definitely like, you know, falling more into place, but like, it's just, uh, yeah, I just love the, the historical side of it. Um, yeah. And so while you're working for that company, I forgot you meant the, the parent company, the, to the TC, um, what, what was it called again? Uh, IBL. Um, so, were you like imagining making your own stuff or were you like working on your own ideas, like on your personal time? Or was this kind of like, this is what I went to school with. I'm doing this, but I actually want to be making music. Um, I was, I was proposing ideas to people there and, uh, I, my goal was still to start my own company eventually. And, but then f- f- I would say, though, at that time, I was definitely more if I had given a choice at that moment of like, you can be, be make gear or make music, I would have picked music. Um, now, I feel w- I, it's it's I feel like as a little kid, the, my, my happiest moments were when I was building things or creating anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could totally absorbed. I could work for skip meals, like just hyper focused on it. And I feel like I've went off that path for a while, which is great because I explored a lot of other things. And then now I'm obsessed with designing Eurac. I think about it <laughs> seven days a week, 24 seven. I've got two kids, you know, and uh, I, I really try to be a present dad and I'm, um, but I, and I'm, I'm, we, we do a ton, we do a ton of family stuff. I try to exercise, you know, I do all the things you're supposed to do, uh-huh. but I don't have much of a social life and almost all my thought and time is spent thinking about <laughs> things to do with music technology. It's well, it makes sense. Con- You're I- incredibly prolific. <laughs> yeah. 
um, it, it, it makes me a bit boring, but it's uh, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna keep running with it while I can. I guess. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that I mean to to be in, to be ten years into it and still speak with the amount of enthusiasm that you are. That's like, I mean, for lack of a less cheesy word, it's really a blessing. I mean, that's that's so cool. Um, okay, so it sounds like. It sounds like maybe this experience with, you know, um, you're working at this radio station and doing these installations and then you start kind of like, sounds like maybe you're, did, I guess my question is, is did IntelliGel, was that born out of like, this doesn't exist in Eurorack format, but I want this to exist, so I'm just going to make it? 100%. The, the very <laughs> first product was um, this uh, expander for a live wire. Mod- oh yeah. So that's another brand that was the early ones, live wire and bubble sound. And, uh, it was an expander and for the Vulcan modulator and really it's something I needed and wanted. The company said that they weren't going to make it themselves and I wanted to get nice looking faceplates for it. So, um, I organized like a, basically a group buy to make kits and, just to the end goal so I could have it myself. Excuse me. We made it and we sold like maybe 40 or something like that. And it's just good. Then I got a, a call from Sean at analog Haven and, uh, he's like, yeah, can I get 50 of these? I'm like, Whoa, how do, <laughs> how do I make 50 of these? I've never done that before. Cause it was just kits before. So then I had to find out about where, where do you get manufacturing done? And, um, and yeah. And so we did our first batch and just lots of, steep learning curve of course <laughs> um but i had while i was doing all this I, I i didn't really consider that our first module that was just kind of more of a project i right from the beginning i saw i thought like i really want a trigger sequencer that's compact hp is uh premium like cases are expensive even when you get a small system and it's funny that 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 obsession with small hp is really continued but mm-hmm. um I, I have some thoughts on that i can tell you about later but yeah <laughs> um and I had there's specific features that didn't exist in step sequences that that time that I wanted, like the way shuffle worked, so that um, uh, every other uh, step that was shuffled, the, the 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 length of the gate would elongate or sh- or shrink. And so if you're going to ADSR, then you get varying um, uh, envelope lengths, which which makes for a cool sound. And the ability to do uh, polyrhythms so that you could have sequences of different length overlapping and stuff and so that that the, i consider the micro step that was my first real project and i did since intelligent was just me on a couch in a small apartment um that was i did every single part of that so design the panel and find out where to get it made uh design the electronics code it um assemble them test them ship them and it's a good feeling to know that you had a hand in every single part and anyone who received one that was like your your sort of blood and sweat was went into it um but that i i personally can't stand anything that's um like repetitive action i get really really bored yeah and uh it's as we started to get more stuff it was like really clear like i there's it'll crush my soul if i'm testing and packing modules and stuff and so yeah as soon as i could get help to do that it was a it was a uh, a nice move forward. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when you made this expander, this was like, I want this expander. And, and you, and did you kind of like set it up as like a group buy for kits, just basically to pay for you being able to, to do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause the, you, the cost of getting 
a couple panels is astronomical. But if you get around 30 or 40, then you can amortize the cost over, you know, spread the cost out over um, enough people that then it's like five, ten dollars a panel, and that was totally reasonable. Yeah. And yeah, that was it. That's so <laughs> I, awesome. I had tried making <laughs> making panels, like I had a drill press and stuff. It's like, oh, this sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like like if I see a hole that is not perfectly centered, it just really, really bothers me. Yeah. And um uh at that time front panel express was an option, but they were really expensive for one-offs too. They've gotten a, a bit better. And nobody was making panels out of PCBs, which is really changed things for a lot of companies. Yeah. Um, but that that would have been a, a viable option too. So at yeah. this point in time, are you thinking like I want I'm, I want a company, or was this one project just because you wanted this one thing? And then just there was, yeah, there was no intention to start a company. Um, I really had no big ambitions. Even the name was just like I, I had. That's kind of a regret because IntelliGel comes from a science project I did in high school called Intelligent Jello. And uh, <laughs> for legal reasons, I couldn't call us. And, and I was just, I just needed a name when I made a corporation. So I was just like, oh, I'll just use this, IntelliGel. Um, and, and then it just grew organically. Mm-hmm. We, um, we never, or any money we made went back into paying for parts and to, to um, make more stuff and, or pay people to help. And it just, we never took huge risks. Um, and we just, so it went from a couch to um, a basement of a house. And then eventually we got a small part of an office. We shared a off, we shared a building with our manufacturer for a while. And then they, then we needed more space. So they carved out more space. And, and then a, actually just a month ago, we moved into our first proper space. Oh, cool. It still feels like it were a startup, but yeah, we have, <laughs> it's like almost 7,000 square feet. Um, and our manufacturer moved next door to us in like 15,000 square feet or something. And so they're still really close, which is a, um, strategically really huge for us. Yeah. And yeah, for once we have our, it's a proper, we're a proper business. Like, <laughs> and, <laughs> but it's been, there's no, there's been no crazy jumps. It's just a really, um, slow burn and um, it's allowed us to really, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I just personally made me feel safer about it, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I always feel, it just also feels like it's more not, I hate to say natural. Like it just doesn't feel as forced. I guess that's Uh it. It It's just like, it was, it, it just organically grew and that's a, that it, and it feels like it's meant to be that way. Yeah, that's. Let me know that I I feel like I've noticed a trend of talking to different manufacturers over the you know last couple of years about this, and it's it's blown me away how many companies started off in a really similar way. I think um, you know Morgan from from Wrong Warn um, did the same thing. You know, I made this one thing, and I you know helped me buy it basically with the group buy, and then somebody I think if I'm remembering right. I know this has happened a few times where somebody's made one thing and then they get approached by a store. They're like, Hey, I want 50. And they're like, I guess I do this now, which is so, I love that. It's just like, I think that's just one of the many reasons why Eurorack is just so appealing to people because of just stories like this. And and it's just, it's such a weird, like wild West. I don't know. It's, it's really crazy. There's interesting things that happen too. Like every single time along this 
journey. Oh yeah, first I would say like from listening to the origin stories of Make Noise and Forum S and a lot of these other uh, um, uh, our peers, it does sound like we have a lot in common. Like we really have similar backgrounds and similar um, evolutions, which is kind of cool. Um, similar personalities too, from what I from what I gather, mm-hmm. and it's. Along this way, every time I would hear rumors of a big corporation suddenly eyeing the um, the business opportunities, it always made me nervous. Like, like this was our cottage industry, and now they're going to come in and take over. But I've been amazed at how little how little of a splash a lot of these companies have been able to make, and um, that's what makes Eurorack really special. Is that it's uh, it's really a industry of for us by us, mm-hmm. and um, unless you're living and breathing this stuff, you're not going to get it well enough to be able to really make a dent in the market. Right. And, um, you, you, so it's basically, you can't fake it. You've got to be legit. And that, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. You have to be into it. Cause, because it's just like, and so many, you know, so many companies grew out of somebody creating something out of a need. I need this. I need the thing that does this. It doesn't exist. I'm going to make it. And I think through that, because it's modular, you know, it's piece by piece, it, it has so much room for innovation. So when you talk about these big companies coming in, they're like, okay, well, what do you need? You need a, a, a VCO, you need an envelope, you need a VCA. And it's just kind of like, if you come in with that, people are like, big deal. There's 700 to choose from of that thing. So yeah, yeah. I think, I think it, it keeps it honest, you know, in, in that way, which is, which is, I mean, I'm sure eventually... You know, if it keeps if it, if it keeps growing in popularity as it has for the last few years, like we're going to see more and more of the bigger companies maybe taking a swing. But hopefully, what if you know the next big company that takes a swing at it will t- kind of take a cue from the last few and say, "Hey, no, we need to like get somebody who's, you know, we need we need to actually like not try to jump into the the pool party uninvited." You know, like we gotta. We gotta have a friend or something that, that that knows a guy or something like that. I think that was a bad analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, go ahead. Did, were you? I, I like waxing poetic. Oh well, about this. well. I mean, it's a controversial. I, I like. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, everyone's kind of waiting to see what impact Behringer will have on the market. Mm-hmm. They're very, they're very interesting dimension to this. Um, but, uh, I feel like a curveball has been thrown into everyone because of COVID and anyone, these bigger companies that might be even more reliant on, um, supply chains that are in, like, don't really matter to the smaller companies it, it, or operating in areas of the world that are more restricted that, that could have a, uh, a, a new impact on them. So I'm not sure. And then the biggest parallel industry has got to be pedal world. So mm-hmm. I'm, and I see more pedal companies who are eyeing Eurorack. But again, it's, if you were doing it just for business, it, it's usually going to, it might not go the way that they're expecting. Um, and I, I'm sure it'd be the same if Eurorack makers started making pedals just because they want some of that pedal action. Right. And, right. Um, but at the same time, there's still this huge, blend of big companies, little companies, people have interesting backstories, people who sell their wares based on um, crazy look and personality and stuff and others who are really serious and 
and it caters to a really diverse market. Um, but in the end, the people that are buying this are people who love technology and they love um, customizing their tools that they use for making music. And, um, and yeah, it's still people who appreciate the having choices. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like you, IntelliGel is really good at providing, like, I feel like you, you guys make something that, that any, but like, there's something that you make that could like kind of appeal to any one of these people. I feel like, you know, like, I, like, I feel like I, I can't think of too many companies that have like the versatility of like the different, you know, like there's so much to choose from in what you do. And I'm just like curious where, like for lack of a better way of putting it, like where do these ideas come from now that you're kind of like in it, you know, is it still filling these gaps that you feel are missing or is it like, I wonder if I could or, I think it's it's definitely a combination. Um, things have also changed in the last couple of years based on who our core developers are. Mm-hmm. Um, the between, so I'm I'm still primarily doing most of the hardware design, um, but Camille is our lead software developer, and Wes is kind of like our junior developer who's also becoming more and more proficient in what he does. And we have another guy named Igor who's been like a veteran of the industry for decades he does all the technical writing stuff between all of us we have really different opinions on what we should be making and um uh our interests but we definitely share common respect and interest for user interfaces um uh what we think modulars are supposed to be used for that kind of stuff and so now a lot of uh, I've still come up, I would say, with the most of the ideas, but some of them are very crude, and I bounce them off these guys, and they'll immediately shoot them down. Or um, <laughs> I, I can I can tell pretty early on if it's like if it's a good idea, they will there will be some some keen interest. And I learned also not to try and push things that only I think are 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 good. Uh, I really trust their their opinions, and usually, and we we usually have like dozens and dozens of projects going in parallel and some we'll like we'll revisit years later um and we're always trying to look for that project that's going to have some serious momentum and so it can it can vary and sometimes it's a a utility that we just feel like is missing to make a complete system or that it would be really handy sometimes it's a riskier more experimental project um we definitely trying to find a balance like there's something like the Tet, for example, took a long time to develop. And um, it wasn't a matter of like, we're making this because we want to make money. We're, it's something we thought was really cool to make. Mm-hmm. And we have to find this balance of being able to afford to work on projects that we don't worry about how much we're going to sell, that we just, it's, we're going to learn a lot from, and that it's, we think we're providing something really interesting, unique for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes like the simplest utility modules end up being hits that help pay for this other stuff, <laughs> which is great. So it, you, like, you kind of have to have a balance. Um, and, and sometimes I've been really surprised at what's popular. Uh, I never would have imagined. And then, um, yeah. And then, yeah. So you, gotta, you just got to keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Try a variety. So- you're talking about Tet. Can we talk about that a little more? Like that's, is that sure. the expander for Tetrapad, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, oh, sorry. I, I should have. <laughs> no, that's okay. Some, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you brought it up because to be honest, like, I mean, I don't know if it's gauche or not to talk about this, but a lot of the modules I get, I, I rare, like, I don't, I don't spend a lot of money on modules cause I don't have a lot of money to spend. Um, so I get them through, you know, doing demos and stuff. So, so when there's one that I want to buy, I, it's kind of like, that's the one that I'm like, I am for a while. And re- currently Tetrapad is the one that's like, keeps calling my name from patchworks down the road. I'm like that thing cool. just yeah. seems so cool. So can, I wanted to talk about that. So could we talk about it and it's expander? Cause I mean, you've brought it up twice. So it seems like it's something that you're also very excited about. Yeah, I, I mean, we we put a lot of thought into that, and it's it's capable of so many things. Like, I I wish I had time to just sit and play with it and explore it some more. <laughs> um, there, and it's also weird now that we're at the like because working on a lot of things in parallel. Um, Wes especially, he puts a lot of extra little features. So there's there's some things in the TAT firmware I don't think I'm even aware of now that I, <laughs> I need to explore. I'm like I'm reading manuals like wait what. Um, <laughs> And the, the the project originally was born from uh, brainstorming sessions with Camille. We, we we're really both interested in tactile interfaces. We have a lot of ideas for products that relate to this sort of thing. Uh, all of us are really passionate about sequencing and controlling in general. And this um, the the company that makes the surface is actually local to Vancouver. And oh, cool. when we learned about it, yeah, we were like, they're in our backyard. We got to use them. So and we. we kind of like we did a tour of their factory and we found out you know they're 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 doing they're making the um pads for npcs and they did the stuff for uh roger lynn's um surface Mm -hmm. too so it's it's uh like we've got this really special company we've got to we've got to do something with this and um so we we looked at all the possibilities and we kind of set this framework we figured like with this minimal ui there seems to be quite a big range of things that you could do with it um and so we made the initial Tetrapad and it was always with the intention of adding an expander. But I think we made the big mistake of making an expander later. And <laughs> if you're planning on things working together, you should do it right from the beginning. And so it turned out to be really uh, non-trivial to be getting these to communicate at high speed and um, get the performance that we wanted. So there was a lot more work on protocol and optimization uh and that's just one one side of it um so those guys worked really hard on that there's also how do you create all these different modes and make a consistent user interface language and you don't want to be consulting the manual all the time and so um coming up with color coding for the leds and you don't want to have too many hidden um button combos and things like that uh, the screen helps a lot, but the screen is also black hole of development that once you have that, it's a crutch to put a lot of, uh, your user interface into. And I know that some of our competitors have made it a specific point not to use screens. And I mm-hmm. think that's actually a really smart limitation. Um, but at the same time, that's also a way for us to differentiate is that it's going to allow us to do some things that other people can't, that you just mm-hmm. can't escape using a screen. Um, so we had all these different modes and as we've progressed, we've been able to amalgamate those modes into three distinct groups. And, um, so the, the Tetrapad basically has what's called voltages mode. Um, there is a, a sequencer mode and there's, um, uh, combo mode and combo mode is the, the, 
the or sorry, I I called sequencer mode, it's keyboard mode. Um, combo mode is the most powerful, and that's where. Uh, oh, for 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 those who don't know, by the way, I don't know if I should just <laughs> tilt this over here. This is tetrapad here. Yeah, so it's a tactile so surface. It does like eight yeah. or nine. It, it ha, like it's one of those things where you can have it. Like, it, let's just list list through just what what before we get into tet. Like what tetrapad itself. Like it, what when I was looking at it, I was like, I could easily use four of these. I was almost thinking like, if I, in a perfect world, if I like for a perfect live setup, I was thinking it would be cool to have like three or four of them to use them in the the various jobs that they can do so i could like get the oh, most sure. out yeah. of it right because i could touch surface sequencing so like what what all does just the tetra pad do because i've been like scared to look at tet because i'm like how does it expand this already very expansive so yeah that's a, that's a good question so the the fundamental technology is that it's a pressure uh sensitive pad uh or force sensitive so um we have basically four strips and each strip you can uh, locate the position, so vertically, and uh, how much pressure you're putting down. And it's different from like a uh, capacitive touch plate that I've personally found them very narrow range that you can kind of um, actually sense pressure in. And mm-hmm. they can also, they're really reli- like um, sensitive to the dryness of an environment and the person's skin and stuff like that. So this is like, you could, you could use a, a pen cap or something. You could press it and it'll still work. So that's the basic technology It's like, all right, we can sense position. We can put LEDs that shine through it and we can sense pressure. What can we do to process this in an interesting way? And so immediately it's like, you can make isomorphic keyboards. So you can divide, you make a matrix out of it. And wherever you press in this matrix, uh, you can generate a different note. And not only that, but with uh, eight outputs, you can have it generate chords or chords and gates and triggers and pressure sensitivity and stuff. So you have this whole array of um, uh, control information. So you can make keyboards, you can have the ability to modulate, like, um, uh, key, like key transpose, uh, invert chords, all of these things that you can do in real time. But because this is being processed by a computer, you can also record those gestures. And that was a huge, that was really important. And that, that's what you need TET for. So Tetrapad on its own can't record. You can just do everything live. But um, you were still had all these different ways that you can kind of manipulate the, the, the node information. That's if you're using it as a keyboard. You can also use it for storing voltages. So again, um, each position that you press can recall different voltages you can choose how you uh, transition between these 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 presets that you recall so you could have them slewed so that you can have this this morphing happen um, and you can with tat you can record these changes oh, and when I say record I mean um, I can hit record and randomly play stuff and whatever I play it would play back mm-hmm. but I can also record uh, step sequencing like sort of SH101 style. Um, the gestural recording is the most fun stuff because it's really, um, it really show like really takes advantage of the, the tactility. And I don't know, is that a word? And, I think so. um, <laughs> <Sounds good>. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, let's roll with it. And, uh, yeah, just that immediate, uh, so, so conducive for, for jamming. So yeah, voltage mode, um, keyboard mode and then the last mode called combo mode is where we amalgamated most of our other ideas and so 
there's it's like when you make a, a list of what can you do with a pad like this it's like on off switches uh sliders bipolar sliders you can have um cross faders so as i'm moving up one voltage is going up and one is going down and you can adjust curves for them we have a euclidean sequencer that one's the probably the most fun because um especially when you're recording instead of it just being a fixed pattern that's going and you've got your your slots and beats and stuff you can within that framework you can actually turn on when the beats are happening and so again you can kind of jam within this structure um there is like drum drumming modes there is oh oh yeah <laughs> L, sorry lfos a right, huge right. range of lfos random generators um those can be quantized too i think i was figuring out there's like seven or eight different ways that you can sequence with this thing with uh yeah i think i'm forgetting stuff but i'd have to look it up yeah it's one of those it's one of those modules that like um I, like I don't, it's nothing like the ornament and crime or disting, but it, it has a same, a, a similar thing that it does to my brain in that it like, I'm I'm a little afraid of it because I'm like, well, if I get it, I'm going to see that I want to do all the things with it. And then I'm going to end up getting four of them. You know? <laughs> yeah. Also, I think, um, if you get it and you're like, try to do everything with it at once, it'll be overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's great to just get one to start and learn one function at a time. Just be like, all right, this week I'm going to play with voltages mode. And you'll be able to, honestly, you can make albums of material out of just that. Or I'm going to play with keyboard or combo. Learn them, see all the extra features that are in there. Just doing basics and the difference between loop recording and step sequencing. And then then there's this whole other dimension of like, I can modulate a whole bunch of parameters so they bring the CV in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a lot to do. It seems like a whole lot of fun. Um, I I really I, I know that like when people see that you're on the show, they're gonna be like, I hope he talked about this module because I feel like you have so many. But you have so many that I I'm just congrats to all you Tetrapad fans out there who, who <laughs> got us to hit on your. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't want to cut that off. Is there anything else that you were gonna say about that? But I I wanted to ask about a few a few other things. Sure. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What are we at in time? Okay. All right. Just a few more questions. I don't want to take all your day. Um, That's fine. Yeah. Well, I, I was kind of curious just to go back a little bit. What was there a module where you're like, okay, we're this, we're this, we're one of the modular companies now. Like, like I am a like did it because you said it kind of didn't feel like it's just now starting to feel. I think you said real or or, or natural was the word you're you're saying, but like you have so many huge like just like everybody knows about them modules um you know was there was there one along the way where you felt particularly proud or that you had you know you had really arrived in a sort of way or uh i i think probably the first really high anticipated module highly anticipated module was the metropolis Mm -hmm. that was the first time where i was like um we had shown it early we knew that there was a demand for it and we were really excited about the musical capabilities. And then as, as soon as we dealers knew it was available, we were getting a lot, lot of demand for it right away. Um, and, but more importantly, that was one of the, the modules where I would see it popping up in 
equipment lists of people like artists I really respect and, and, and finding out about people that it's, uh, that they're, they're using it to make music and albums or they're like playing live. And like that, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Like this right. is, we're not, we're not just making toys. We want, we want, we want people to be making music with this and, and hopefully music that we're, we really resonate with. Um, and yeah, so, and, and sometimes the modules, there's, there's certain modules that maybe didn't, weren't as popular, but for us were real landmarks. Like, um, the Atlantis for me was a really big deal. That was something right from the beginning. I was working towards getting all the different components so that we would eventually have, um, a, a, a synth voice. And that's something I still go and I play with all the time. Like I just always get like a musical result out of, mm-hmm. and, um, it was really, really cool when I found out Aphex Twin was using those and he had a several I was gonna, of them actually. And, I was yeah, going to ask if Aphex was That was a big was deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, he, he had uh, a song called Four, Four Times Atlantis or something like that. Uh-huh. that he made with the Circle on Atlantis that was released. And on the Cyro album, there was a credit, like when the, the, the huge gear list, there was something about the Rubicon in there. Oh, nice. Um, and so he's, he's used that oscillator too. Yeah. So he's cool. a, he's he's quite interesting because he is probably the most knowledgeable gearhead I've ever um, ha- had the chance to chat with. Like he, which is uh, a testament to his dedication to his craft. Like he has tried everything. Mm-hmm. This, the it seems like from the smallest synth toy to the rarest test equipment, he's um, just this uh, incredible, incredibly, or must be incredibly curious about all these things, just to know the possibilities. So. Um, but he knows his Eurorack stuff too. And he's like, he's, yeah, he might not be on forums and things, but it, from, from my impression has been that he really, really knows like what's going on in the Eurorack world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like that comes through just by listening to like not only gear, but like how to use, I, I almost feel like he's like, I just watched this, this document, this Netflix documentary on Michael Jordan. So this is why I'm going to use this, but I feel like he's yeah. the Michael <laughs> Jordan of electronic music. <laughs> like, there's just like unquestionable, like, um, the goat. Um, okay. Earlier you also said like, okay, sometimes there's a, there's something that you're really excited about. Um, that maybe doesn't do as well as you want it to, but then maybe sometimes the opposite, something does a lot better than, than you were expecting. Is there any, is there any of your modules that are like way more popular than you thought was going to happen? I mean, I know that's kind of a weird question, but you kind of, the probably the seven new cases. Um, and that whole, yeah. um, Can you see mine behind me? Oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I use for yeah. my... Uh, I, I just got a poly end anywhere. So now I go, that's my like go out and film in the woods case. Oh, nice. Yeah, you you can actually... We, we, we got this USB battery. I don't know if I have it around here. Like off of Amazon, it was a hundred bucks. And I, if you find the ones that have the different adapters, um, they they should work with any of the cases we've I've gotten this hundred dollar battery and I was, I could power the seven U with it. And can now, can you power, like, can you power it full? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, um, that, yeah. Okay. Cause I actually I have the four, you not the seven U, but, um, because that's something that, I mean, that I've, I've been wanting to do is like, I, I definitely have to do a lot of calculations with it anywhere. Um, yeah. And I can't, I can't fill it up. I have to be pretty selective of what, what kind of modules I use. So if I could find a way to, kind of not have to think about that as much that would be awesome so 
Yeah, I'll, 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 I can send you the, the link. I, I can't remember. I think that this particular company we bought is like some random Chinese company that don't even exist anymore. But there's a whole bunch of batteries that have really high milliamp hour ratings. And if the, you can get the ones that will allow you to select the output voltage. Uh-huh. Um, so you just put uh, 15 volts and they have the, the right adapter, like a 2.5 millimeter. And I was amazed. Like we were, you could power it for a couple hours, I think. Oh, wow. Um, so look into that. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for the so, tip. Um, yeah. And no shade thrown at the poly end. That, that thing's really cool, too. Um, if you, yeah, it looks if you really need, well engineered. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so, okay. So, yeah, because. Oh, mean, okay. So, yeah. The, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, back to your question. Um, so, uh, th- those cases were really kind of a uh, side project. Not a side project, but like a. We had parts that we had to use up, and we're like, uh, let's try this. The the four U cases we got were extruded, and there was a a lot of cost in getting the molds done and the tooling design and um, shipping them in and stuff. And then I was just like, I'd really like to just try local and bend some metal. And we have these extra rails left over. Like maybe we could just make this simpler, just try something else different, just to get rid of them. And we made it, and it was like, oh, I really liked the way it looked and felt, and um, and yeah, we thought like, okay, we could we could we'll. Let, like hopefully we can break even and sell a few of these, but they've been just consistently high demand since we've made them. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with cases though is it takes a lot of space uh, to make them, and it it takes a lot of planning because the the bill of materials is so long. There's a lot of unique parts on it and stuff. So that's that's one of the things that's nice about being in our new space is that we can manage these a little better. Yeah. But, and then there's the controversy about our one U format um, being different <laughs> from. And I've, I've talked about this before, like when we made the mold for the, the for you, um, we made it exactly to, cause we originally were trying to make these rack mounted. And so we made exactly the rack specs. Uh, I had measured the lip of the rails from Dofer and I didn't even calculate what the one U space was cause the, the outside was for you. So I was like, okay. And then when we got it, I realized like, whoa, this is like really different from pulp logic format. And I, redid the calculations like a ton of times i looked at the ratios of dope for panels and what i considered to be the the standard for your rack and that's where i i came up with like it's got to be this size and um it was never meant to be any kind of slight on the on the pulp logic format the other people who made the what they're calling tiles Mm -hmm. uh, it's just how it worked out and we our our plan was really i kind of wanted our cases to look like system 100 where you had this this utility strip and you you wouldn't even have um like brand name and stuff it would just be basics like um malts in and output attenuation and you would never even think about it just leave it but it's turned into a be a kind of this interesting dimension and there's all these other people making stuff for it now and um we got a lot of requests for one new modules and so yeah, it's become this new factor was, for us. I was going to ask about that because it seemed like the, the initial one U modules that, that you had available were just very like utility, and it seems like you're moving more in the direction of like just one U versions of what could be three U modules. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to be careful. Like, so so something like Steppy was specifically designed as a one U that we t- went the other way. We're like, oh, well, this actually would make a great three U as well. Um, but once we felt like we covered most of the basics, there's kind of this freedom in one U that three U is so competitive. Um, you've got to, anything you make has to be really unique. 
um, or there's got to be something to make it stand out. And with the the one U, it feels like you can get away with a lot simpler, and and mm-hmm. that's kind of fun. Like just uh, um, and and sometimes the simplest utilities are the most useful too. So, anyways, we've got a lot of the bread and butter covered, and so it's a chance that we're, we're we can do some more exotic things now. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to balance. Like we've got all these other projects on the go, but we I'm always like working on these on the side, and we'll just yeah. continue with a, a stream of them. Well, man, we're already over an hour, and I don't want to okay. take any more of your day. But um, I, I I just keep like I keep thinking like all these these modules, probably Shapeshifter, Plunk, uh, you know, Quadrat, like all these things. I'm like, ask about this, ask about this. But I guess we'll probably just have to have you on again sometime to get more in the Anytime. specifics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just uh, it's been so awesome talking to you, and thank you for just everything you've done for the community. I feel like I feel like you, you know. You're, you're in, I lump you in with the with with kind of these these founding members of of this modular community who were like we kind of everybody's built on on your guys's hard work and you've kept it going and kept it interesting so it's it's just uh, yeah it's awesome to talk thank you to very you much finally. that's very kind yeah um do you want to do a patch challenge by chance sure Are you familiar with the patch <laughs> challenge uh no okay so what I do is I randomly um. I will I will generate a random random adjective and a noun, and then I'll give you 15 minutes, which won't be while we're recording. This will be when we're yep. done. You just take 15 minutes to create a patch based off of um, these random words, and okay. uh, and then you don't have to record the the making of the patch. But when you're done, just record like three to five minutes and send that over with your audio from the interview, and I can stitch that in. Okay, okay. So you're 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 going to give me uh, some kind of theme. Yeah, I'm going to give you, like, a, like basically gonna, a prompt. Impression. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and then, let's see. Let's, let's, let's do happy as a mood. That sounds good. Um, sometimes, so I've got this patch challenge generator that somebody made me. Okay. Um, and sometimes it, it doesn't spit out words that, that make sense. So, <laughs> um, oh, it's being really weird today. I swear some of these aren't words. I'm not even reading them. Fond expectation. Uh, <laughs> jolly day. <laughs> you do something with that. Do you want to try jolly day? It's just kind of funny sounding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, sweet. Well, is there anything that you want to uh, shout from the modular mountaintops before we, we sign off? Anything new that you want to tease us with yeah. or anything well, like that? Um, like this week, we're going to release a new module called the Bifold. And it's uh, something we've worked on for quite a while. It's our uh, it's a new f- wave folding module. And we spent a long time tweaking it. We really wanted to make sure that it was very warm sounding. Um, some wave folders can tend to be harsh or aggressive. And also, I feel like some wave folders are designed to look good on a scope, but it's not necessarily practical. And we put a lot of features in this that allow you for some really, really interesting exploration. So it's two wave folders connected by a crossfader, but there's all this feedback routing and stuff. Um, it's like, uh, it's amazing for making drones um, and these patches that can evolve and stuff. I, I'll probably use it in the, the patch challenge. I was going to um, say, you should use it in the patch challenge because it sounds really interesting. Yeah. And uh, so we've, we've, 
because we just moved, we're like still in a state of flux and getting our video room and stuff together, but we're going to have to sort of whip things into shape immediately to, to get some film. <laughs> when you have a wave folder, everybody wants to know, first of all, it's like a filter, like do a sweep. I want to hear her. And that, that can really tell you a lot about the characteristics of it. So we're going to do that, have a scope ready. Um, and then I'm really excited to just show when you freestyle jam out with it, how quickly you can get something that is filled with sweet spots. And, um, this is the first module in a long time where pretty much every single person at Intelligil said like, as soon as it's ready, I'm buying it. And that, that, that to <laughs> me means something. Um, uh -huh. so, uh, everybody uses wave folders differently. So I'm, once they're out there, we're going to have lots of different ways people are going to demonstrate it. But, uh, I really, I'm, I'm there's, there's some particular people I'm really excited to get this into the hands of and see what they do. But I think the, the onus is on us to get something out as soon as possible to show uh -huh. what our vision was. Yeah. Right on. Well, I really look forward yeah. to that. All right. We're going to get into our patch challenges. And yes, I said our patch challenges, plural. I'm going to do one this week. Um, but first, I want to tell you about ModBang, glow-in-the-dark cables, and Eurorack covers. Let's start with the cables. Um, I've replaced every single cable in my setup, aside from two stackables, so sue me. But every other cable in my setup is now from ModBang, um, various colors and, and lengths. We've got cobalt blue, blood orange, primrose, apple green. There's 90 degree angle bangers in all those colors I mentioned. And then there's 3.5 to quarter inch. And those will be up to uh, five feet long. So they're perfect for studio use. That's what I use to go out from my mixers into my interface to do all my recording. Um, and then these Eurorack covers are so amazing they're they're perfect for if you want to leave your uh, your beautiful synth out on display in your living room but you don't want the day-to-day -day, uh, dust of life getting on it so the, there's, it's made out of this ripstop material it's very much like a really durable rain fly from a tent or something um, and they just look really cool all sorts of different colors and, and patterns um, and right now they're made for six or seven new cases um, great for also you know going to shows if you're gonna play some outdoor shows or just bring your synth outside for a while just a nice little peace of mind to have that covered up head over to modbang.com to learn more about all these amazing products i just talked about all right here is dan van tyne's jolly day Thank you. 
Wow. <laughs> that was really good. I really, really liked that one. Thanks, Dan. What a patch challenge. And you know what? I took a swing at it this week, and I wanted to use those, uh, those modules that I used in the demo. Um, so here's my jolly day, featuring the Omi Industries R2R, the Void Modular Series' Veil, the Afterlater Audio Tilt, and uh, some other stuff. I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do it right now, but I'm going to be sure to use those three modules at least. All right, that's our episode. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. Um, it was a long time coming, and I'm so 
so happy it happened. Had such a such a great conversation. In fact, um, we're we're already talking about the next one. Uh, we want to do a little bit deeper dive on some of the modules and meet some of the other people from the IntelliGel crew. So hopefully that'll be coming up uh, sometime soonish. Um, I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. It means the world to me. Um, if you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at PodMod, please visit patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Um, also jump in on that Discord server. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. There's a patch challenge page there so you can uh, submit your own videos or recordings of uh, your patch challenges based off of the weekly prompts. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, last week's episode was actually me playing a bunch of your patch challenges and a bunch of your music. So if you have a new album coming out or something, send it my way. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll be doing that once a month, once every two months. Um, please don't forget to check out Omi Industries R2R. It's just such a fun module, 4HP, digital to analog converter. Um, it's just one of those things Like I feel like you could use it just about in every patch. Um, Sirius's Veil from Void Module modular this dual filter is so much fun um also the three new modules from after later audio the tilt steps and blend um absolute essentials and uh shout out to metron from wmd i love this sequencer so much and the uh the four ms ensemble oscillator um two two uh of my my favorite modules to be honest uh i have a lot of favorite modules god i love the sts too and they got a morphogene. Oh my. Anyways, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna wax. But and then that tetrapad. Oh my god. I am. I am that tetrapad. Anyways, I'm done talking about modules. Um, but I do want to talk about that al- that album I'm gonna be releasing with my friend David Lutz. We scored a film. Um, and then the guy was like, Hey, we can't use this after we did the whole movie. Uh, it's kind of heartbreaking. But um, I'm very proud of the music. And uh, we're going to be releasing it soon. So I'm going to share one more track from that uh, as a closer. So thank you for listening. And until next week. <laughs> <laughs>